Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace. And I'm your fellow commenter, Cameron Brooks. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about places and the theology of place. It's that time of year, Pastor Mark, where in South Dakota, people start talking about leaving South Dakota. It's December here. Thankfully, we haven't had too many cold days yet, but we all know it's coming. It's about to get really cold for a few months, in fact. And I'll be honest, I spend some days most winter dreaming about other places, too. That's a setup to talk about the significance of place for us Christians. I've got several questions I want to toss over to you in this episode, thinking through what it means to live in a place as a Christian, as a human, as a creature in God's world, and then what the Bible has to say about the idea of place, the significance of places throughout Old and New Testament, and then maybe some more practical considerations toward the end about how we should think about places in our own lives. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you're not originally from South Dakota. You're from the South. That's right. How did you get here? Well, you know, so I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Louisiana, and I can always tell who did and didn't because the people who want to leave South Dakota in the heart of winter are people who like the heat and want to get away yeah. from the snow and everything. And I had enough of that growing up. And so I'm very happy to have some snow in my life okay. uh, for the first time. But but yeah, so I grew up in Louisiana and left, I guess, between high school and college. My family moved to Texas, which is what most people from Louisiana do at <laughs> some point in their lives. And then Lori and I were married and lived in Texas for, I guess, about a decade or so and didn't come back here to South Dakota until 20, uh, 2006, I think. Yeah, 2006. So, and, and that was actually my first experience of living in a place that had seasons, even though you know, one of them winter lasts half the year. So I've always enjoyed it and um, it's been really good. But now you grew up not too far from here in Nebraska, right? Right. Yeah. Basically South Dakota, but just a little bit warmer down there. Okay. Okay. So, so just the, the little bit of difference yeah. is a lot for you for winter. <laughs> yeah, it is. Honestly, I, I think it's significantly colder here for a shorter period of time, but uh yeah. Yeah. Around this time of year, I think it's good to think about place because whenever we read the gospel narratives of the nativity, one of the things that happens, of course, right before the birth of Christ is that Joseph and Mary have to travel back to Bethlehem in order to be counted in this census and stay in what was probably uh, the the sort of uh, annex or, or, you know, guest area in some family home and there was no room in the proper guest room. And so they had to stay in the part where the animals would have been kept. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was a return home. You know, that was going back to a place where you had those connections. And 
that's an experience a lot of us these days have because it's so common now for people to grow up in one place but eventually leave and and move sometimes a few hours away in your case a few more hours in mine or sometimes um, in completely different uh, settings and so as we think about uh, relocating, as we think about where we live, it raises a lot of interesting questions that I look forward to digging into. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to, to some of that a little later on. I want to start though, by looking at the biblical story through the lens of place. And so if I had to sketch it really broadly, I would think, hmm, okay, so first we want to think about the doctrine of creation because mm-hmm. Obviously, places are places within God's world that he made. And God gave humans a responsibility to tend and care for the world. So that's related and important. Obviously, then the fall gets in the way of those responsibilities and, and affects our relationship to the, to the land. It does. And, and even, even in setting the scene like that, I think we want to be a little more specific because... Adam and Eve are not just placed in the world, but they're placed in the garden. In so, a place, yeah. Yeah, within the, the world, they're situated in a very particular place. And by their callings, God establishes a relationship between them and the place. Like they're there to cultivate it and they have a responsibility towards it. And because of the fall, that relationship is broken and they're, they're actually cast out of the place that they were made to inhabit and they become exiles. And that sense of exile is one that permeates the human condition. You know, we're all metaphorically speaking exiles in this world, in this life. And that goes right back to the beginning. Like human beings are are situated geographically by God in their very callings. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for drawing that out. I think when we're doing, when I'm doing biblical theology, I can sort of like extract from that story the specific reality that you were just talking about. They weren't just given the world, though that was true, but they were given a specific place to tend. That's right, yeah. And you see that happening further on in the story as well. I think about uh, Noah. You know, when Noah settles down after the ark, uh, he plants a vineyard and cultivates the land. uh, And that corresponds to that covenant renewal that takes place. And so in the idea of covenant, there's this sense of a connectedness to a place. And of course, that's replicated in the story of the people of Israel with the promised land that they're meant to inhabit. So clearly, this idea of place is really important in God's plan for his people. Yeah. Yeah. In one way, you could look at the story of the old testament as a journey towards places like salvation through places we can think of being taken out of egypt delivered from egypt one place of bondage to the promised land and within the promised land we can get more specific and talk about jerusalem and mount zion and these more specific places in the tabernacle and now those were caught up in god's redemption of Israel. And then of course, being exiled from those places later on, and as we're reading in the prophets is, is terrible and tragic. And it's not just that, you know, the, the, the bad guys came in or something, but that they were actually 
cut off from this place that they were given that was so significant to them. Is there anything else in the Old Testament you can think about in terms of place we'd want to call out? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, one, in God's call to Abraham, it's really significant, I think, that you know he's off in the Ur of Chaldees. He's called to make this long journey to the place where God would have him set up yeah. his tents, basically, and, and begin to uh, cultivate the land. And so the covenant relationship with Abraham and his offspring begins with a relocation project mm-hmm. where he takes not just himself, but his family and a multi-generational family and, and moves to this unknown area where he settles there and, and is a sojourner so much so that when it comes time to bury his wife, he has to go buy land from the locals in order to have that plot. And so you know, that's, I think, again, a, a really strong suggestion of the connection between, you know, God's promises and our physical situatedness. Um, another one that we probably want to think about, too, is um, the letter to the exiles, Jeremiah, because while a lot of longing in the Old Testament is oriented towards Israel, towards Jerusalem, there are obligations that the people in exile are given to the land of exile. They're actually called to cultivate it, to seek the good of that place. And so again, it's saying something to us about how we relate to the places where we live. Um, It wasn't the case that uh, there was like one special plot of land around Jerusalem. And if you found yourself somewhere else, then you should just trash the place and and get back as quickly as possible. Like in that exile, you were meant to have families and cultivate and and seek the good. And so again, I think in those moments in covenant history, you can see both travel and exile and also settlements and sort of relationship to the land as being really important stuff. And, and although there's a theological dimension to it, like we think of, you know, successive covenant making and, and how <laughs> yeah. God deals with people. Um, I don't think Abraham experienced this mainly as a theological question. Uh, the exiles didn't think of it mainly as a theological question. It was really practical. You know, they had to think about, you know, who are we in relation to the place where we find ourselves? What are we meant to do here? Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. When we look at the New Testament, then, if we think of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, we have many descendants, and we see that fulfilled in the spread of the gospel to all nations and the giving of the Spirit to all all persons. We see, I guess, connected with that, the blessing that was promised to Abraham coming through the gospel but there was also this promise of land. And that to me has always been kind of a question mark. How does that promise get fulfilled? Like we saw it in the Old Testament, but what happens to the promise of land in the New Testament? Does it just disappear? Is well, it completely- there's a transformation. It doesn't disappear, yeah. but it does change. And it's important to notice this because I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians even today don't see the shift that takes place, and as a result, continue to have very Old Testament understandings of of the land relationship. But one of the things that happens in the New Testament is a 
revelation by God that the physical kingdom is a failure, right? That the physical kingdom has not delivered everything that that it was expected to deliver. And that's not unusual because that's true in redemptive history a number of times. The promised land itself, when the people, after being delivered from Egypt under Joshua's command, enter in, when you go to the book of Judges and study that taking of the promised land, you discover that actually they fail to do what they were meant to do. Like they never fully secure that promised land the way that they were meant to. So that is an example of like a physical fulfillment that doesn't ultimately deliver in the way that was expected. So what God is doing there successively is showing essentially all these other ways of salvation that ultimately cannot solve the problem. Right. So in the New Testament, we discover that it's not a physical kingdom that is necessary. It is a spiritual kingdom that's necessary. And so the physical situatedness promises that are made in the Old Testament are fulfilled to the extent that they're fulfilled physically. They're shown to not measure up, to be imperfect, and they point to the need for the spiritual. And so the real fulfillment and fullness of those promises comes in the the deliverance of that spiritual kingdom and this greater salvation that God has always been promising. But we have seen that promise develop over time. Mm -hmm. We've seen like the fullness of it being revealed over time. And so that's a good counterbalance, I think, to some of that Old Testament data where we, we might say, the important thing about being human is you're situated to a place and it's really important to stay in the place that, that you're meant to be in. I think the new Testament gives us a different sense of place where our fulfillment and identity is not tied to the physical, but to the spiritual. And in an interesting way, we're sent out from the place that we originate to go and make disciples of, of all nations Mm -hmm. Right, And that is a fulfillment of that original covenant command from the garden, like to, to go out, to multiply, to fill the earth. Yeah. Right, So again, you see there's, there's a, a connection to all this stuff where on the one hand, there's an important bond to the physical location. But on the other hand, always from the beginning is this idea of moving beyond that and and conquering, subduing, bringing uh, to fruition this larger world. Yeah. Yeah, you use the word world. I was just reading in Romans 4.13 where Paul calls Abraham the heir of the world. Yeah. Which is a really cool thought. And I think it's getting at what you were just saying, that the true fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham of the land was is being realized now in in us, his descendants being heirs of the world. And I guess my question still about that though, is it seems to, it seems to 
subordinate physical places to spiritual realities, mm-hmm. let's say. And so if, if the Christian inheritance is the entire world, what does that mean for my physical existence in one place now? And maybe this is a good segue into some more of the, the practical stuff that I wanted to talk about. Like, wh- what does it look like as a Christian to think about where you should live? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things do we need to think about? Or doesn't it matter? Is it all about the spiritual significance or mission of where where I am? So those are some of the initial questions we can get through. But maybe yeah. first that question about the the physical and the spiritual I think it's important not to think of it as like an either or, but to see that the spiritual points to the, sorry, the physical points to the spiritual. So it's not that the physical doesn't matter. It's that the physical ultimately isn't the whole picture, that it's only when you see the reality of the spiritual fulfillment that you, that you get that, that like perfect and satisfactory fulfillment, but it doesn't mean place doesn't matter anymore. Um, I think both of those things are true, that that we are situated locally in the same way that, you know, our spirits are situated in bodies, yeah. right? That we have a similar kind of relationship. And yet there is also this larger thing that we're a part of, like our individual bodies, part of the body of Christ. So there's a larger relationship as well. In terms of, you know, practically thinking about questions like where should I live and that sort of thing, I I think we should definitely say that these are questions that fall under the, the sort of umbrella of Christian wisdom, right? That in the same way that people ask questions like, you know, what work should I do or you know, who should I marry or any of those kinds of very important decisions that we make. Most of what the Bible has to say about those things is going to fall into that heading of, of using, you know, wisdom and discernment in order to make good decisions. There's not a Bible verse that, that says, Oh, here's where you should live and don't live there and that sort of thing. So, so you're always faced with that need to uh, exercise judgment and whenever you have to do that, I think it's really helpful to start thinking about, okay, well, what are the, the, the questions that matter, right? So I start thinking about what are my God-given duties? Uh, what gifts has he given me? And what, what would I need to do in order to fulfill those things? Uh, what obligations do I have in terms of uh, family and, and things like that? And as I think through those things, the question of, you know, where to live maybe comes into more focus. We probably also need to think a little bit about our culture too and kind of like our situation because I think the way we think in the 21st century, certainly in the West, about where to live is a very different kind of question than, you know, 500 years ago it would have been or a thousand years ago. Um, Like we are not thinking about that question the way that like the pilgrims thought of it, right? Or the way that, you know, people would have thought about it in biblical times. Um, We are mainly thinking about it in individual terms. You know, like where should I as an individual or where should my family, my nuclear family locate itself? And so the questions that we're often facing are primarily uh, personal ones and, and, you know, 
practical ones that maybe don't fully consider some of those bigger sort of duty and obligation questions the way that, that they would have in the past. Right. And in the past, of course, it was probably a lot harder just to pick up and move to a place far away. And our culture today, you know, modern Western people were more mobile probably than ever before. We could hop in a plane and visit places or we could just move someplace and right. work remotely, right. you know, live on the beach or, or whatever. And, and so just because we can do something though, of course, doesn't mean that we necessarily should. And yeah, I, I appreciate what you say though about wisdom. And certainly we can't say anything specific in this episode about where specifically people should live. <laughs> well, I, I think you should live in Sioux Falls. <laughs> I mean, that's clear, but uh, yeah. I think, you know, you hit on two factors that I think make our moments pretty interesting when it comes to place. One of them is technological in the sense that, you know, like the, the ease of travel, right? That we don't travel by trains or, or foots <laughs> or ocean liners or anything, you know, with, with air travel, we can go anywhere in the world relatively easily. Um, so that's one factor. But then the other thing that you, you touched on was, was the, let's say the, the decoupling of place and work. And that's been a huge revolution in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but especially in the last couple of years, the idea that more and more people are working uh, remotely means that where you live and where you work don't necessarily correspond. And of course, there was a, a big phenomena during the pandemic where a lot of people realized they, you know, are working from home. Uh, they don't need to pay their expensive rent. They could go live anywhere in the country. And so uh, went to all, all sorts of places in order to work remotely. And of course, that's kind of a, an ongoing drama now as, as people trying to figure out, does this work or yeah. do we need people back in the office or things like that? So I think in a way, like we're asking this question at a moment when people are, are really thinking about this, but thinking about it with a whole different set of options than, you know, most people have ever had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We could get into remote work. I don't know if we should, but what's interesting about it is it feels almost like work without a place right? to sit in front of a computer. You could say I can do this anywhere, but really it's kind of working nowhere. No specific place mm -hmm. compared to, an office building on a specific street in a specific town. And yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of answers, but I do think that that's going to have consequences to our, definitely our relationships with other people, but certainly our experience of the world too. One, one other question though, not related to work is around something you mentioned earlier, this idea of having obligations to a place. That idea fascinates me. I'm curious if you feel any obligations, say, to Louisiana or mm -hmm. to Houston. You lived in Houston for a while or not, if those things have kind of passed and now you see yourself 
strictly as a South Dakotan or something right. like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, most of my feelings towards Louisiana and Texas are that they owe me, <laughs> not the other way around. But, uh, but yeah, I would say I, I do still feel a connection to those places. Um, I mean, I still have family in both of those places. So that's probably part of it. And then of course, just, you know, history. Um, I think you feel a connection to the places where you've lived and experienced life. Um, this past summer I went and visited uh, my old alma mater and I don't have any connections to the town where I went to college anymore. I don't have family that lives there. You know, I hadn't been there in years, but I still felt a connection, but not the same uh, sense of obligation because I think the obligations and duties are connected more to people in places and the, the, the benefit of those people. So when you think about uh, if you're in exile in Babylon and God says to seek the good of the place where you're in exile, um, I don't think you want to think first and foremost that God is saying, Hey, there's some cool hanging gardens here. It's like one of the wonders of the world and, and you ought to do something to preserve those. I think first and foremost, we should think of that in terms of serving people. Doesn't God tell them to you plant know? gardens though? Well, yeah. Like specifically. Right, right. <laughs> but he doesn't mention that particular garden. But yeah, yeah. so, so I'm not saying there's, there's like no benefit to, you know, the, the physical infrastructure, like, like, well, don't go out and build roads in the city, just help people. But, um, but I think the idea is that through serving the life of the city, right? And the, the people you find yourselves among, uh, you fulfill those obligations, not uh, just to the place as an abstract. And the reason I think that's important is we have a tendency to romanticize place. And if you are one of those people who has like a dose of wanderlust and you have a sort of romantic idea of some faraway place, uh, you can feel like a pull or a draw to that place. Um, that's not the same thing, though, as having this kind of duty or obligation or, or situatedness. You know, um, God calling me to a place is not the same thing as me having always dreamed of what it would be like to, you know, live in this cool spot. And right. so I, I want to make that distinction because you know, I think we, we have a, like a romance of travel a romance of, of, you know, living in exotic places and, and that sort of thing that you could easily christen mm -hmm. and think, oh yeah, you know, I, where would God have me go live some cool, you know, lifestyle overseas or right. whatever, you know, and, and I just want to be careful about not, you know, not sprinkling fairy dust on that and saying, yeah, that's, that's what we're, we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, embrace places. Yeah. <laughs> Go live by the beach or whatever. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, no, I, I resonate with that because like I said, at the beginning of this episode, sometimes the winters here are mm -hmm. rough and, and it, you know, the middle of February, I start daydreaming about warmer climates and yeah, there's a little bit of romanticism mixed into that. And you think if I could just be in this place, right, then I'd be okay. And the funny thing is what I've experienced over life anyway, is you can go to a new place, but you're still the same person in that place. You're yeah. carrying the same you right where you are. 
So, yeah, certainly you can't look to new places as sources I mean, of salvation. There's one sense in which that's not true, and it's that if I leave and go to that other place where no one knows me, yeah, then I can sort of hit the reset button, reinvent myself, have a clean slate, that sort of thing. And I think that's part of the appeal, right? That that if I go to this other place, I don't have this baggage or background or roots or whatever. All of that is what I'm talking about when I say duty and obligation, yeah, right? Because a lot of times I think the wanderlust is also about the escape, right? Right. Like, w- at least for me, when I think about you know, where I would love to, to escape to go hit the reset button and and just go live there. You know, part of the appeal is that idea of, of escaping those duties and obligations and, and the, the, the hard work of, you know, living and, and, uh, cultivating where God has placed me. And so I, I think you can almost reverse engineer it a little bit, right? And and think about the ideal living scenario and ask yourself, like, how much of what would make that great is the getting away from the things that that I would like to, you know, loose myself from. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Okay, in one second I want to ask you if you could live anywhere in the world. Where would it be? But first, a note on something you just said there about cultivation. Uh, Tim Murray, if he's out there listening, once said to me that for the first several years when he was living in Sioux Falls as a non-native South Dakotan, he always felt like he said mentally he had his bags packed Yeah, because he hadn't committed to the idea of being here. He didn't know if this was going to be their home or if they were just passing through and they were going to go back somewhere, somewhere else and how that really impacted his commitments to the people. And I mean, to the people around him, even his job, because if you're always in your head thinking, well, I could just cut the ties. I could hit the reset button. I could go someplace new and more exciting then yeah, you're probably going to resist investing in these boring old relationships or the, you know, the difficult stuff of day-to-day life. And I think he has since unpacked his mental baggage, Mm -hmm. but that was a helpful image for me because I think I've lived at least seasons of my life thinking that way, not with any real plan of getting up and leaving, but this thought of, well, it would be nice to just start over someplace. And, and that prevents us from cultivating the place, the specific place with the specific people where God has placed us now. Yeah. And that's the work that I guess all of this comes down to is like, we can talk about place in the abstract, but I, what the reason I wanted to talk about this was because I do think it is important for Christians to embrace the place and the the persons around them in the moment. Yeah. And you know, I, my experience is really similar to what Tim experienced when I think about, how I first came here uh, at least the first year or so that we lived here for me coming here was an escape and it was a reset. Like I came here and I thought now I'm going to do the thing that I've wanted to do, which is write books 
And I came here almost thinking about it as a non-place because I'd only ever been to South Dakota at Christmas time. So I thought it's a frozen wasteland. <laughs> it reminded me of Dr. Shivago, if you've ever seen that. It's just uh, American Siberia, you know, and, and so there won't be anything to do, but right. I'll be, you know, in my, my garret <laughs> scribbling away yeah. all the time. And, and in my mind, I thought, you know, at a certain point, uh, I, I will have written some books and it will be necessary to go back into the world in order to promote them or talk about them or whatever. Uh, and then I will return to this kind of non-place where I do my work. And so for the first year that we lived here, we lived downtown and, you know, we had uh, some of Lori's family, but, but apart from that, not, not a lot of connections. And I liked it that way. You know, I liked the anonymity that I believed I had. I, I found out subsequently that in a small town, <laughs> you're never as anonymous as you think you are. But, um, you know, for a while I had that sense of like, you know, I've, I have made an escape basically. And I did not want to form those connections. I exactly like what you're saying. In fact, I remember I had my book rethinking worldview was coming out and, um, Lori and I were visiting a church and, um, I told her as we're in the car before we go in, these people don't need to know who we are. They don't need to know anything about us. They definitely don't need to know about this book coming out. Cause that's going to be, you know, like, Oh, teach a Sunday school class or something. Like <laughs> definitely. We do not need to share any of this. We just need to get in and get out. We're here to worship nothing else. And, uh, and of course I blew it, you know, <laughs> immediately and, and spilled the beans to everyone. But, but for that little sort of transitional season, I think that was the attitude. And it would be nice if I could say, then I had an epiphany and I realized theologically speaking that, that I meant to cultivate the place that I'm at. But, but it, it, it was almost like a, it happened despite me, not because of any understanding I had, but we found ourselves suddenly rooted and connected and, and serving and, and loving the place where we were at. And so it maybe in hindsight, then I could see what the problem had been before, you know? And the interesting thing is, I mean, my memory's not great, but when I think about that period, it's really hard for me to, to even sequence what happened when, because of that sense of unconnectedness, yeah. you know, it's kind of like if you're on vacation and it's like a longer vacation and you're not sure what happened, what day, that kind of thing, without those connections, you kind of lose that sense of, of, um, history, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's interesting. It reminds me of, you know, a couple of years ago, I almost took a job across the state Yeah, and that was, that was a rough decision for us. For some reason, when I was deliberating, thinking about that choice, the image that kept coming to my mind was me and my front yard trying to pull out of the ground a tree that I had planted mm. a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And you just, you said rootedness and yeah. 
And yet I, I think that that is actually what we want to strive for is a kind of rootedness in a place that is difficult to pull out. And, and I think, I think that is a good thing because it shows that you have cultivated relationships with other people in the place where you're at. And ultimately that was what kept me from saying yes to that decision was I just couldn't, I didn't want to pull the tree out. I didn't want to uproot our lives yeah. and move us across to this new place, which would be a no place for a little while. So yeah, I'm all, I'm all for, for rootedness. And that's not to say that there's never a time of course to find a new place. But like you said, that comes down to, to Christian wisdom. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, nine times out of 10, when people face that question these days, it's related to work still, even mm-hmm. despite the work from home thing, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what your career is, um, you may have the need to relocate in order to pursue a career, maybe education, uh, different things like that. So I'm not saying, you know, well, wherever you find yourself, that's where you need to stay. It's just that that sense of um, having to make the decision, like there, there should be an investment in the place that makes it difficult. You know, like I, I, I love the fact that, you know, we've had people and uh, like families who've been part of our church for a season and they've relocated for work or what have you. But while they were here, they were a part of the the church family and they were part of our lives and we still maintain a connection after all this time. And I think that that's beautiful and it, it speaks to that sense that, you know, where wherever God calls us and wherever we find ourselves that we cultivate, you know, that we invest in those places for the time that, that we're there. Yeah. While acknowledging that we are heirs to the whole earth. Exactly. Which is beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's right. That's the other side of it that, that because of that reality, there's not a, a, you know, we don't need to think in like a, well, you just have to grow where you've been planted, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's wrong to ever leave your hometown or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, say that you had the opportunity to get up and move anywhere. You know, you've satisfied all of your existing obligations. <laughs> you have no more demands yeah. around here. You could just move some place. Where would you go? Yeah. I mean, it's probably not a secret that I would just go to Paris okay. and, uh, I would live in the Tuileries garden or the Luxembourg garden. And if I had to, you know, go somewhere at night, I'd just have some place to sleep and then I'd spend the days there. But, um, but you know, I mean, that's, uh, in a, in a way, I think the, the reason that city appeals to me so much is that it exemplifies some of the things that we're talking about that, that there's a, you can walk around this place and there's so much history and, and connectedness. And, um, you know, there's, there is a Bertrand buried at the feet of Napoleon. So there's some rootedness. <laughs> Although Laurie keeps saying it's Bertrand, the dog. And I'm like, no, it's no. a person, it's a human being. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's, there's that appeal, but at the same time, you know, I, I would be like crazy if I didn't acknowledge that, that part of that too, is that romanticized, Thing and that idea of escape, you know, that, that, um, it's, it's, um, 
in some sense, a fantasy, right? And so, yeah, I, I mean, as much as I love the idea of doing that, the reason that I wouldn't do it is connected to that sense of connection and, and you know, investment in, in the place where we are. And so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, what about you? Like if, if you could go anywhere, would it be like to some beach somewhere? Or? <laughs> um, maybe not a beach specifically, but I always like the idea of a small little port town. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so along, along somewhere along the coast and yeah. Okay. But, but like a new England port town or a Caribbean port town. Yeah. I'm more like new England. Okay. Yeah. Portland, Maine. We went to Portland, Maine once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool little city and still an active port city. So place I, like that. I've been reading uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's book, the ebb tide hmm. and um, which I think is his last or one of his last books and it is about sailors in, uh, they're in Tahiti, but it's this sort of period of time where there's this sort of diaspora of all these different nations in the Pacific. And they, the characters start off on the beach, but on the beach is a metaphor for like broken down and out. Like if you end up on the beach, that's, that's really bad. You've got nowhere else to go, but they make a point these guys who are sort of outcasts and everything that if you have to be an outcast, this is an easy place to do it. You know? And I, th I think that's why I asked the question that there's, there's again, like that romanticized idea of sort of uh, where is the kind of, you know, almost like the land of perpetual retirement, you know, <laughs> yeah. where you just kind of do fun stuff and it's, you know, no obligations and, and that kind of thing. And, and again, I think those, those daydreams and fantasies often kind of point us right back to the, the, like the tensions that you're trying to escape. And the best thing to do is to work on those tensions, right? To like, what are the things that, that tempt me to hit that eject button? Yeah. And how could I make a difference in those things? Like, how could I change the way I feel about those responsibilities and obligations and duties? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. This reminds me of our episode we did a year or so ago called don't hit the reset button. Yeah. Right. I don't remember what right. episode number that is, but if folks are listening and yeah. you want some more of this, I think we talked more practically on jobs and marriage and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But yeah, the idea of building the thing that you long for rather than hitting the reset button right. has stuck with me. So yeah, thanks for this conversation. I think there's so many more aspects of place that we could talk about, but this anyway is going to get me through the winter, I'm sure. Yeah. It, so I appreciate well, it. Well, it'd be nice if maybe we, we went on some sort of, you know, port city vacation yeah. and, and did a remote episode of the commentary yeah. so we could test some of these ideas. Okay. We'll <laughs> see you there. Great. Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. 
wherever you end up in life, whether it is in Paris or on some beach somewhere, if you subscribe to the commentary, you can take us with you. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.